Now, let's turn uh, to God's Word together. If you have your Bible, please turn with me to Galatians chapter 4, verse 8, and we're going to pick up where we left off last week. As you turn there, I want to uh, share um, how uh, a little story from a, a recent novel I just finished called Lila. Anyone read Lila by Marilyn Robinson? No? Oh, wow. Maybe after this you'll want to. This story, Lila by Marilyn Robinson, focuses on a young woman named Lila. She was neglected by her family as a child and later became kidnapped by a woman named Doll, who was part of a criminal drifting gang. Lila eventually broke free from that life and ended up living in an abandoned, old, broken-down cottage, doing anything she could to get some money for food. One day, Lila walked into a church to get out of the rain on a very wet day, and there she met a man, the minister, the Reverend Amez. He was himself a grieving and lonely widower, but he was a godly man. Their relationship deepened, and over time, eventually, Lila and the Reverend Amez got married. And even though Lila found liberty from poverty, security and love in her relationship with the Reverend Amez, her mind was often filled with thoughts of running away and going back to her old life of drifting and just getting by. And there's this powerful moment in the book where Lila goes back to that old broken down cottage she used to sleep in and she just stands there looking at it and thinking about her old life. Now, why do I start by telling you this, apart from the fact that I, I love Marilyn Robinson's books? Well, I actually think this is a good illustration of what was going on in the church in Galatia. Paul had preached the gospel to the Galatians, this city in modern-day central Turkey. That gospel says, faith in the person and finished work of Jesus Christ is enough to save you from your slavery to sin and bring you into the security and love of the family of God. Many Galatians, like the Sakalava people we've heard of this morning, many Galatians turned and trusted in Christ after Paul preached. They found new security and love, as I said, in their relationship with God through Jesus Christ. But Paul then moved on to preach the gospel in new places and to plant new churches. And later on down the line, he heard word that many of those people who had professed faith in Jesus in Galatia, they were turning back from trusting in Jesus and they were looking back to their old lives, their old ways. Those old ways that really were nothing more than slavery. Like Lila, the Galatians had found a new relationship of security and love in the family of God. But they were beginning to go back to their old lives and to turn away from the Lord. 
And so because of that situation, as we've seen, Paul writes this letter to the church to say, essentially, what are you doing? He'd hardly finished his greetings in chapter 1 when he said in verse 6, look back at chapter 1, verse 6, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ. Look over at chapter 3, verse 1. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? And now in chapter 4, verses 8 and following, we find Paul at the height of his impassioned call to the Galatians. He's like a loving parent who sees their children running onto a lake of thin ice that is dangerous, and he's shouting to them, what are you doing? You're in danger. Come back. Look at chapter 4, verse 9. Now that you've come to know God, how can you turn back? Verse 12, brothers, I entreat you. That is, I'm pleading with you. Become as I am. That is, be free in Christ. Then look at verse 19. My little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. This is Paul at his most passionate, saying, brothers, I'm begging you. My little children, I'm in labor pains to see Christ formed in you. Come back. How can you turn back to that old life of poverty and slavery? Come back to Christ. And as we have seen week by week, this letter is not just for the Galatians, for them then. God has placed this letter in his word. And so this is a living word that is here for us. You see, we know that it is so easy to one moment be walking closely with God and the next, after a period of time, to slowly drift away from God. We can look away from satisfaction and security in our relationship with God and drift away to look for that sense of love and security and satisfaction in other things that are not God. Like Lila, or like the Galatians, we can have security and a new identity as children of the living God and yet be running around and have lots of functional gods functional idols, things that really we're saying, yes, God, I find my security in you, but perhaps we spend all our time just trying to get more money. And so this section of our letter this morning is a wake-up call. It's a call to those sleepily drifting off in a dangerous current away from God. It's a call from the Spirit to come back. If you're drifting away from God, or if you're here this morning and you know you're far from God, you've, you've fallen back, the old word backslidden, if that's you this morning, this is a wake-up call for you. Come back to intimacy with God, because in Christ is everything you need.
Now, Paul makes this call to the Galatians and to us by warning us of three dangers in our passage that come with drifting away from a close walk with God. And we're going to just walk down through those three warnings as we walk through the text. Warning number one. Beware drifting away from Christ. For you will find yourself enslaved to idols all over again. That's the first warning he gives. Beware drifting away from Christ, for you will find yourself enslaved to idols all over again. We see this in verses 8 to 11. In verse 8, Paul says to the Galatians, look, back before you ever knew God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. Before the gospel came to Galatia, the Galatians worshipped idols, the pagan gods and goddesses of their day. There was one goddess called Aphrodite, the goddess of beauty. There was Artemis, the goddess of fruitfulness and wealth. And before the gospel came to Galatia, placating and pleasing these tyrannical gods was a part and parcel of life. For the Galatians, much of their time and attention And fear was afforded to these idols to keep themselves in the idols' good books. Essentially, if you had a a God of fruitfulness and wealth and you wanted to be blessed with fruitfulness and wealth, you had to do everything you could to get that God, Artemis, happy with you. Our so-called secular age is not all that different to the culture of that day. Every culture and every age is dominated with its own set of idols. We may not call the idol Aphrodite, but how many young people today are driven to despair over an obsessive concern about their body image? We may not call the idol Artemis, the god of wealth, But how many people have sacrificed so much to the idol of success and wealth? The late Tim Keller has said, we've performed a kind of child sacrifice, neglecting family and community to achieve a higher place in business and gain more wealth and prestige. What are the idols in our culture What are the idols in our own lives? Well, an idol is anything, not God, that you look to and say, if I have that, then I'll really be happy. If I lose that, my life's hardly worth living. Idols in our culture today can be anything. Family, children, making money, achievement, a romantic relationship can be something we idolize. Peer approval, having everyone think well of us can be an idol. Just comfort, beauty, brains, even success in Christian ministry can become an idol. It becomes all about the success, keeping it going. 
Now, of course, it can be good to pursue success and security. There's nothing wrong with working hard and making money to get by. There's nothing wrong with wanting a romantic relationship. But it's when these good things become ultimate things. That's when they start to exert a control over us that becomes enslaving. For example, let's just think. When our idol is the approval of people around us, we just care so much about people, what they think about us. That can really enslave you. It is good, again, to be well thought of and to be respected. There's nothing wrong with wanting people to think well of you. But if that becomes an ultimate thing, you become a slave to everyone's view of you and you bow to the idol of the fear of man. That creates fear and insecurity because you're constantly worried about what people think of you. This enslaves you. Paul is saying to the Galatians, and God is speaking through his word to us, saying, as we saw last week, before you come to Jesus, before you came to Jesus, you were enslaved to sin and to all of those various idols. But when you come to Jesus, he sets you free from all those things. You want love, you want approval, you want security, you have it all in Christ. Because in Christ, your sin is forgiven, and your heavenly Father, your God, your maker, the one you were made to find satisfaction and security in, he says to you in Christ, I love you, I accept you, I approve of you, you are my son, you are my daughter, you are my child. You don't have to worry about my approval. You have it. And if only that mattered more to us, we wouldn't chase after the lesser approval of all those people around us. And trust me, I'm preaching this to myself as much as to anyone. It is so hard, isn't it? Because we all care and I'm sure you, like me, we all struggle sometimes worrying about what people think of us. But maybe if God became bigger in our vision, if his approval mattered more, maybe that would displace some of that longing we have to look for that approval in other people. Paul's saying, when you come to Christ, you can be set free. And find everything you need in him. And so in verse 9, he describes this coming to know God and to be known by God as a lovely, intimate relationship. You know God as your father, Paul is saying to the Galatians. But even better, God knows you and owns you as his son, his child. In your relationship with God, there is a security and satisfaction that is life-giving, liberating, the opposite of enslavement to fear. And so in verse 9, Paul says, you were once a slave, then in Christ you were set free and became beloved sons. What are you doing now, going back to the old broken-down cottage and just looking back at that old life? Why are you turning again, Paul says, to the weak and worthless 
elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more. And then he says, you're going back to religious rituals. You're trying to keep your idols satisfied and happy. In exasperation, Paul says in verse 11, look, I'm afraid that I may have labored over you in vain. Essentially, he's asking the Galatians, look, was preaching Christ to you? Was you receiving Christ? Was the church being planted? Was it all just a waste for you to go back now to try and find your satisfaction, security, and happiness in the things of the world? Listen, Christ does not liberate us from our idols so that we can just run back to them at our first opportunity. The Son sets us free so that we can walk in that freedom. Living in the goodness of the gospel every day. So let me just ask you before we move on to our next warning. Are there good things in this life that you've turned into ultimate things? Are you enslaved by certain idols that are getting all your time, attention, and energy? There's something that we can call giving things our time, attention, and energy It's worship. Are there idols that you are worshiping in place of God? Well, if that is you and you're in your head thinking, what are my idols? What are the things that I'm looking to? Where I should be looking to God for that, I'm looking to these other things. Well, take those things to the Lord and say, Lord, forgive me. Take first place. Help me to look for my deepest longings to be met by you. So that's warning one. Paul says, beware drifting, for you will end up being enslaved all over again to idols. Then in a second warning in verses 12 to 16, Paul says, beware drifting away from Christ. For in time, you'll lose your sense of living under God's blessing." In verses 12 to 16, Paul now reflects with the Galatians on their initial response to the gospel when he came and first preached to them. In verse 12, he entreats them to come back into enjoying the very freedom and blessing Paul enjoys through Christ. Then in verse 13, he reminds them that he came initially because of what he calls a bodily ailment. Now, we don't know exactly what this was, but Paul's missionary journey plans seem to have changed due to some sickness that he, uh, he experienced. The sickness required him, instead of moving on somewhere else, he had to stop for a while for rest and recovery in the city of Galatia, the region of Galatia. But while there, while he was convalescing, while he was recovering, doors opened for the gospel. And you know, it just struck me through the week. How many bodily ailments has the Lord used for the furtherance of the gospel? Now, what I mean there is, think of all the Christians who get sick, and they're brought into hospital, and they find opportunities to to witness for Christ. I have seen this over and over again as a pastor going in to visit people in hospital, as they share to me the opportunities they've had to speak of Christ. Some of you know Jimmy McKee, an older member of our church here, and he's now in Tile House. Jimmy had a great ministry of visiting people and speaking for the Lord. And the last time I went in to see him, he said, you know, the Lord has helped me to see that this is, this is just my new place of service. The doors are wide open for the gospel in here. And I just thought, wow. 
the Lord taking Paul's bodily ailment to get Paul where he wants him to be, where he hadn't planned to be, and then in that place he preaches the gospel and church is planted. Incredible. So don't waste your sicknesses. Verse 14, Paul says his condition was a trial for the Galatians initially, but it didn't stop them from receiving him well. He says, you received me like an angel, as if it was Jesus himself coming to you. Verse 15, he says, you showed me such love and care that you were ready to gouge your eyes out and give them to me. Now, there is... Some of the commentators think that Paul's sickness, his thorn, may well have been some kind of ophthalmia, some eye problem, which is quite interesting. We don't know it, but maybe his eyes were sick, and they were like, we'll give you our eyes. And notice, it's interesting, just right at the end of the letter, chapter 6, verse 11, when Paul signs off, he says, see what large letters I'm writing to you with my own hand. Perhaps eye problems made him have to write really big. We don't know. We don't know. But it's interesting. Sort of gets my attention. But whatever happened after that initial reception where the Galatians had received Paul, received the gospel, they were so thankful and so ready to bless the Lord and bless Paul. Now in verse 16, he says, if I now become your enemy by telling you the truth, it seems, you see, like when he left, these false teachers came in and they tried to turn the Galatians away from Paul's message. They undermined Paul's character, his authority, his message. And Paul's saying, look, when I came preaching the gospel initially, I came in great weakness, but you received me. More importantly, you received the message that I brought to you with a great response. You were rejoicing in it. But then look at what he asks in verse 15. What then has become of your blessedness? Literally, this could be translated, what then of your blessing? Now, this is a really significant question in the letter because back in chapter 3, Paul spent a lot of time explaining how we can come to know we are living under the blessing and favor of God. In chapter 3, verse 9, Paul concluded, so then it is those who are of faith in Christ who are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Here's how you come under God's blessing. It is being in Christ. He explains over in chapter 5, verse 4, if you turn away from Christ and you try to find your salvation in other things, you are falling away from grace. moving away from blessing. Throughout this series, we've emphasized over and over again that we are not just called as Christians to believe the gospel. We are called to embody and live the gospel, to live in the goodness of the gospel every day. Those who have truly been transformed by the gospel have a desire to walk with God. Walking with God is how you enjoy all the blessings of the gospel. We read our Bibles, we pray, we worship the Lord, we take local church seriously, we give our attention to the Lord, we seek comfort and security in the Lord, we seek strength in the Lord. Doing all of this doesn't save us, but this is how we walk in the goodness of our salvation that is secured by faith in Christ alone. 
I love in Genesis chapter 5, verse 22, in this big genealogy where you just read of people who die, and then they die, and then they die, and then they die, and then they die. You get this incredible line in Genesis 5, 22, Enoch walked with God. And every time I read that, when I'm reading through Genesis, I just think, Lord, I want to be a man who walks with you. In the midst of a culture of secularism and death and destruction, help me to be the one who walks with you. And I would really encourage you to make that your goal. Be a man, be a woman, who's not just a labeled Christian drifting through life with a half-baked, half-hearted walk with God. Be a man or a woman of God who walks with God. That's how you know and enjoy all the blessings that are yours in Christ. We know this, don't we? When we drift away from God, we do lose our sense of living under his blessing, living under his goodness, living near to his love. And no wonder then our longing hearts that need affection, we go elsewhere for it. If you turn away and you slide back from intimacy with God, we need to ask ourselves, what then of our blessing? William Cooper wrote the hymn over a closer walk with God and he writes these words, where is the blessedness I knew when first I sought the Lord? Where is the soul refreshing view of Jesus and his word? The dearest idol I have known, whatever that idol may be, help me to tear it from thy throne and worship only thee. It's the same for Cooper as it is for us today. We put things in the place in our hearts that only God should have. Whatever those things are, let's pray, Lord, help me to tear them from my, my, your throne and help me to worship you. So let's ask some questions again of ourselves. Have I drifted away from a closer walk with God? Have I got distracted from the Lord? Have I turned to other things for a sense of well-being and satisfaction? What then has happened to my sense of blessing? Six days from now, I have my first Olympic triathlon. Last year, some of you know, I did a sprint triathlon. This year, I'm doubling it, swimming 1,500 meters. This is in Athai and Kildare, Saturday, this coming Saturday. 1,500 meters in the open water, 40-kilometer bike ride, 10K run at the end of it. When swimming in open water, it is very easy to get disorientated, to lose direction and to drift off course. You have to do something called sighting, which is essentially you're swimming, you're trying to keep a nice low profile in the water, and you're rotating your head so you don't get out of that profile, but every now and again you have to lift your head up. What happens when you lift your head up? Your feet go down, you slow down. But you still have to do it, because otherwise you'll lose your way. So you keep lifting your head, where's the boy that I'm swimming towards? And then back down. Lift your head again, where's the boy? And every time you're drifting off course, it's the sighting that gets you back on course. Here's something I want to encourage you as a Christian. You need to keep sighting. Not sighting some boy in the middle of an open water swim. You need to keep turning your eyes upon Jesus. Looking full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. You need to keep lifting your eyes and see, am I drifting? 
I'm off course. I need to lift my eyes to Christ again so that I can get back on course. Hopefully, if I'm here, God willing, next Sunday, you'll know that I've made it through the open water swim. There's a lovely example of this in Psalm 73. Psalm 73 is what I call the psalm of a scundered saint. Rosina, I'll explain what that means to you later on. (laughs) Psalm 73 is a psalm of someone who's looking all around him and it just looks like everyone else has got it together. Everyone else is blessed. Everyone else is wealthy. Everyone else seems to be doing really well. And he's just like, I'm trying to walk with God and everything's going wrong. And he gets so discouraged until this line in the middle of the psalm, he says, until I looked, until I saw, until I went into the sanctuary, I saw the Lord again. And then I understood. And the psalm closes with the psalmist's hand. Do you know what? In the hand, when I look around at everyone else, here's what I can say. Whom have I in heaven but you? And the earth has nothing that I desire, Lord, but you. My flesh and my heart may fail, yes, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. That has helped me over and over and over again. When I just look out at the world, I can just say, well, do you know what I have? The Lord is my portion. I have a great portion. That's someone who's sighting. They got scundered. They lost their way. And then they lifted their eyes again and they saw from a heavenly, eternal perspective. And it says, it doesn't matter what everyone else has. I have the Lord. He's my portion. That's all I need. If you have God as your portion, you do not have a stingy portion. So, right at the end, the psalmist just says, you know, as for me, it's good to be near God. I've got to stay near God or I will drift. So beware drifting away from Christ. You will lose your sense of blessing. Third and final warning then that Paul gives more briefly in verses 17 and 18. Beware drifting away from Christ for you will become more vulnerable to the various shaping influences around you. In verse 17, Paul speaks of these false teachers in Galatia leading the Galatians astray. He says, look, they want to make much of you, but it's not for a good purpose. They want to shut you out so that you may make much of them. He's saying, look, these false teachers, they're flattering you in Galatia. They're giving you attention to win popularity and a following. They're like the prosperity guys on TV who name ministries after themselves and fly private jets around. They're people who manipulate and cajole people so that people will send money and receive a blessing. They'll make much of you, but it's not ultimately for your good. It's all about them gaining from you. Paul's saying essentially here, be careful, the idols of this world will make much of you to win you over to their worship. Do you remember the TV advert by L'Oreal? What was the strap line? Anyone remember it? Because you're worth it. Go and buy our product. (laughs) Make much of you. Why? Money. That's how the allurement of materialism works. 
You can hear this voice in your head. You know, you work hard. You deserve this expensive thing or this level of lifestyle. Money will make it all possible. You deserve it. Keep working hard. Then you'll have enough to be secure and happy. Again, there's nothing wrong with working hard and trying to be secure and happy. But be really careful because the pursuit of money and the love of money can quickly become an idol and make you marginalize God. Be very careful. If you're not anchored in who you are in Christ, finding your security and satisfaction there, you will become vulnerable to many idols who will want to manipulate you. And the clearest place again where we see this, I think, is in the idol of approval of people around us. If you want everyone to think well of you, you change who you are in various situations to get people to like you. This makes you a slave. It makes you so vulnerable to being manipulated and led away from the Lord. Do you know the worst thing about that? You end up losing yourself. You don't know who you are anymore because all you're ever trying to do is pretend to present a self in front of everyone to get them to like you. And in the middle of that game, you lose yourself. But we are called to remember as Christians who we are. Sons, Children of the living God. Our heavenly father approves of us. He loves us. Of course we want people to think well of us. There's nothing wrong with that. But when we make that an ultimate thing, it ruins our relationships. It ruins our security. Stop seeking glory from people. Seek it from the living God. Remember how Jesus said that? said that was the problem of the Pharisees. They were seeking glory and praise from man and they were not seeking the glory and praise from the living God. Paul says in verse 18 to the Galatians, look, you made much of me when I was with you, but then as soon as I left, you turned away. They were so easily blown around because they did not have the roots of their identity deep enough into Christ. Doesn't that tell us so much about the importance of discipleship? You can see loads of people converted, but if they don't get their roots down into who they are now in Christ, they just quickly get blown away. We don't want to be chameleon Christians who just become like the people around us. We want to be lights shining brightly in this dark and depraved culture. So that's Paul's three warnings for the Galatians and for us. Beware turning away from Christ. You'll find yourself a slave again. You'll lose your sense of blessing. You'll just be vulnerable and blown around to the different influences around you. But now then, in verse 19 we get the alternative to turning away from Christ and seeking security and satisfaction in idols. Paul says, and this passage and the whole book of Galatians says essentially, turn to Christ and seek to find your all in him. Verse 19 is the alternative to seeking to be satisfied with the idols which promise so much and deliver so little. Paul longed for Christ to be fully formed in the Galatians. My little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. 
There's so much we could think about here. Paul's burden for other Christians. Just longing to see Christ formed in them. As your pastor, there's everything within me. I feel weak with that, but everything within them just resonates. Long to see Christ formed together in us here at Great Vic. This is what we want for Christ to be formed in us, for the saving life of Christ to fill us and satisfy us. This speaks of becoming like Christ, being secure in Christ, having the fullness of the blessing of the Son coming home right into our hearts. As we saw last week, God sends, the Father sends the Spirit of the Son into our hearts so that we'll know that we're children of God. Paul's saying, I just want to see Christ filling you up completely. That's what he meant in verse 12 when he said, Brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, for I have become like you. Again, a lovely missional principle there. We become like people to see them saved. But Paul's like, look, I came to Galatia. I became like you. I preached the gospel among you. Now you come, enter into the freedom and blessing that I'm enjoying in intimacy with Christ. Remember what he said back in 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul's saying, come back to that. He's saying, I want you to know the freedom and blessing that the gospel, the saving life of Christ brings. Christ alone is the one who can satisfy all the longings of your broken heart. For the ache of loneliness, he is your salvation. He's what you need more than anything else. More of him. For the ache of singleness, he is your salvation. In grief, he is your salvation. In your fear of the future, he is your salvation. In anxiety or depression, or when touched by suicide, he is your salvation. In financial need, in plenty, in comfort, in weakness, the Lord is our salvation. What we need in all of these circumstances is a bigger vision of the all-sufficient Christ. You know God, and better, you are known by God. Let me ask you this question. How big a deal is that to you? Is he your salvation or is your life characterized by turning back to the weak and worthless things of this world? Lila was a broken, lonely woman. She had one who came into her life and loved her unconditionally and gave her security. In him, she had everything she longed for, in the Reverend Ames. Yet she still looked back to that old life and felt tempted to go back there. But here's how this story ends, spoiler alert. Knowing that that old life would not be better, she stayed. And she sought to own the security and love that she had come to know in that new relationship, but she struggled to accept. 
maybe that's what you need to do this morning. Stay and own the security and love that is yours in Christ. Maybe this morning, the Lord has brought you in here to remind you that in Christ alone, your hope is found. And in Christ alone is everything you need. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this warning passage where Paul, like a loving parent, calls out to his children, the Galatians. He sees them running out onto thin ice. He knows they're in danger. He says, come back, come back, come back. I pray, Lord, this morning, if we find ourselves even on the edge of the pond of thin ice, I pray that we would hear this as a call to us to come back to intimacy with the Lord and to drift no further. Or if we are not Christians and we do not have this peace and security and identity in Christ, that that we would run to Christ this morning and find in him everything we need. And may Christ fill our minds. May Christ fill our hearts. May we experience the beauty of satisfaction in him because, Lord, it is so hard when we are lonely or when we are feeling that ache. Sometimes we can feel like, Lord, but, we, but you're not as tangible as a husband or wife or, and you're not as tangible in some ways, but, Lord, by the eyes of faith, Help us to walk by faith, not by sight, and to see that in you there really is deeper intimacy and satisfaction than even the closest person in our lives. And Lord, we just long to know that intimacy and security filling us all the more. We look to you and pray that you would shape us in every way. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, let's stand together and um, we're going to sing, May the mind of Christ my Savior uh, live in me from day to day. Selected this hymn so that we could really think about Christ dwelling and filling us. Let's stand and praise together.
now may the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face to shine on you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Amen.